My whole life, I knew I wanted to help people. So my career path ended up in occupational therapy. I first learned of the profession when my mom suffered a massive stroke just two weeks before I started high school in 2005. Those are the words of Kelly Twitchell, CEO and co-founder of Access Tracks. And we are talking with Kelly today. Kelly, welcome to the Science of Social Impact. Tell us about you, your role, and what is Access Tracks? Thank you so much for the introduction, Nicholas. I'm excited to be speaking with you and sharing a little bit more about my company and my story. So as you mentioned, my name is Kelly. I am an occupational therapist based in San Diego, California, where I grew up. And I am the co-founder and CEO of Access Tracks. Access Tracks works to empower people of all abilities to safely and easily access outdoor terrain using our innovative modular pathway solutions. As you can see in the background, we have a special <laughs> guest. His name is Leo, and that is my cat. <laughs> um, anyways, so uh, basically Access Tracks works to empower people that have maybe physical disabilities or maybe they're older and have some difficulty walking on outdoor terrain like sand, grass, gravel, and even snow. And we're working to advocate for inclusion in maybe it's an outdoor event or maybe it's just you know, a family outing. So that's kind of what we do. Awesome. We are going to dive into the story of Access Tracks and from idea to where it is today. Uh, full disclosure, we did also put Kelly's cat on the calendar invite for this recording. So she, <laughs> uh, she or he is, is certainly welcome to be in the picture. If you're uh, not watching this on video and listening on podcast, there's three of us in the conversation. So if you're going to ask any <laughs> questions, make sure we include all three. But uh, so Kelly, one thing we know is that uh, I mean, life is amazing. We have all these incredible experiences and these experiences are really what shape our beliefs uh, and who we are. And so from your life's journey so far, what is one core belief that you just know so wholeheartedly to be true? That is a great question. I would say that one core belief that I have that has really shaped who I am and my journey has been that Everyone has a purpose in this life, and it may take you a little while to figure what that is. There may be some twists and turns on that pathway um, and a few dead ends, but if you persevere and you really hold the belief that something will, will grasp your attention and you will, it will click with you, and you will know that this is what I'm meant to do. It's something that you're going to be extremely passionate about and something that you will endlessly try to achieve or to, to accomplish in your lifetime because that passion will always be there. Um, and, and that will get you through some really difficult times and it will be so rewarding and, and will really um, make your life super meaningful. Mm, I believe it as well. Everyone for sure has a purpose. And really what we have is a world of someone who's either found that and living it or is in the time where they haven't found it yet. And so they're in that period. So for someone who is listening and feels like they're in that second group, the group of, you know, this is awesome. I, I totally dig it. Everyone does have a purpose. I just haven't figured mine out yet. Do you have a thought or advice for the first couple steps that that person could take right after listening to this to get closer? Yeah, absolutely. I think that first and foremost, it's nice to kind of, take note of what things interest you and they don't have to be big extravagant things. You know, maybe you really like 
reading magazine articles or looking at interesting articles. And that could be a path of journalism. And you could find even within journalism, there are certain niches like I want to look at impact journalism or I want to look at, you know, um, international journalism. So kind of take note of what little things that you find occupy your time. Like what do you gravitate towards and explore further from there. And then I would say, uh, surround yourself with people who are like-minded in that way. Maybe there's support groups or interest groups on, there's a lot of social media applications for this, you know, hashtags. Um, you can find a group, find your tribe, and they will help you, um, motivate you, challenge you, um, and so forth. Awesome. Yeah, it's uh, especially on the science of social impact, a lot of the purpose that we talk about is so others-oriented. But what's really important in what you said and in this journey to finding purpose is that it's not just okay to be selfish at the beginning. You need to be selfish and invest in yourself to figure out what makes you happy, what drives you, what are you passionate about? And because you took the time to be selfish and figure that out, you're going to be able to impact so many more lives because you now have found that purpose and then you find your group. And the next thing you know, uh, you're living that every day. Life is way better. You're investing into the people around you. Uh, you're happier and it's all good. So for someone listening who feels like they're not there yet, uh, no one starts there and be selfish at the start and invest in yourself to figure out what that purpose is. What do you love? What drives you? What wakes you up? All those good things. So thank you for those words, Kelly. Um, we'll go into the the story of access tracks here. So uh, you've told us a little bit about the company itself, and obviously every great company starts uh, with some idea. But even before that idea, take us to the origins of Kelly. Where, where are you from? Where'd you grow up? Where are you now? What's the, the quick little story of how you got there? Happy to share that. Um, so as I kind of mentioned before, I grew up in San Diego, California, and I kind of always, when I was thinking about what I wanted to do when I grow up, you know, that, that question, it was something in the medical field. I really felt drawn to wanting to help people and work directly with people um, in achieving healthy, active lives. And my dad was a dentist. My brother eventually, my older brother eventually became a dentist as well. So I knew that I probably couldn't be a dentist. <laughs> we had enough of those in the family. Um, no, but on a more serious note, as I was um, going through high school, as I mentioned, or you mentioned in kind of the opening quote, my mom had suffered a massive stroke just two weeks before I went into high school. And that time as she was recovering, uh, she had therapy. And one of the therapies was called occupational therapy. And they were really working on helping my mom become more independent in everyday activities. And those things would be like getting dressed, um, you know, being able to move around and do the activities that she needed to do in her everyday life. So I was, that was my first introduction to occupational therapy. And years later, you know, I went to um, high school. I went to San Diego State University for my undergrad and graduated with a degree in biology. I was going to apply to medical school and become a doctor, and I something didn't quite feel right. I was looking into even naturopathic medicine because I didn't agree with some of maybe the conventional ways met, uh, current medicine was going with just a lot of prescriptions, and how can I be more holistic for, for my client or patient's healing? Um, but even naturopathic medicine wasn't quite, I don't feel ready as a profession. Um, so I went into cancer research. I, um, worked for a research lab here in La Jolla for a little while. 
Is this post-graduation or at San Diego State? Yeah, after San Diego State. Yeah. Um, While I was at San Diego State, I even worked at the Salk Institute for a little while. That was incredible. Um, But so I had a little bit of like research background. That For someone who doesn't know what that institute is, what is that? The Salk Institute is a wonderful institute here at La Jolla in San Diego. And they actually do amazing research on lots of different topics. And that could be plant biology, it could be um, mammalian biology. They work with um, cell therapy. They're working on really big picture ideas to help solve problems in the world. Um, and, and, you know, they even can work on like medical stuff. So it's, it's a great facility um, and very prestigious. So I was lucky to be able to work there and, and learn from some of the great technicians there. Um, so after, after I graduated from San Diego state, I went to cancer research at a different lab, um, just in La Jolla and realized that I'm a people person. And so working in a lab all day just wasn't really jiving with me. I was using some of my, you know, my skills in biology. Um, and I was working on cancer research, which is incredible, Mm -hmm. but again, I just needed to work directly with people. So um, certainly not something to regret. You know, we all have our paths and figuring out, okay, maybe this path is a dead end for me. Okay, then I could pivot and I can find what does make me happy. So I kind of did some interviewing of people. I also worked at a golf course at the same time. And I was just talking to people. I worked on the beverage card on the golf course. So I would just, hey, what do you do for a career? Do you like it? (laughs) So... Um, I had talked to, uh, he was a, uh, a doctor, of. let's see, I'm trying to think of, he was some sort of doctor in some sort of specialty, but his wife was an occupational therapist. I go, Oh, I remember occupational therapy. Um, so I basically started going down that path and I applied to only one school that's probably a big no-no. Um, I think I was overly, not necessarily overly confident, but just like overly hopeful that I don't want to leave San Diego. And this is the, the one school that I could go to and still live in San Diego. So that school was the University of St. Augustine for Health Sciences. And the campus is in San Marcos, so just north of San Diego. But I got in. <laughs> so congratulations. Um, thank you. Yeah. So that was in 2015 um, that I got into uh, How many USA. years was cancer research until you asked the question at the golf course and now you're getting into St. Augustine? So I graduated from San Diego State in uh, 2013. Okay. And so it was less than two years uh, because, you know, I had to go back to school for two semesters um, to take a couple of classes to get into St. Augustine. So um, first it was, you know, I think it was like seven to nine months of working at cancer research while at the same time working at the, at the golf course and interviewing people and figuring it out. And then once I found out occupational therapy and the requirements to get into school, then I started taking some classes at local community colleges to finish off like a couple of courses. And then I applied and got in. So Awesome. Relatively short amount of time in the long, long term or long, the grand scheme of things. Um, yeah. Did you have people say to you, Hey Kelly, you're going to have to apply to more than one. Like you don't get in on the first go and you're like, yeah, yeah, for sure. Told you so. You know, I, I don't remember people really talking to me about like, Oh, you need to apply to more. I had a very strong, um, 
like resume and transcripts, very strong. I was in the top, uh, like, what was it? One to 10%, whatever summa cum laude is for Mm -hmm. San Diego state. So I felt really strong in my academic ability. Um, and I really did a lot of research online about how to interview well and public speaking doesn't really bother me. Like maybe some people. So I felt confident on, on the spot interview type thing. And I don't know, there was also just a voice in my head telling me like, this is meant to be. And I, I just, it felt good. And then that mm-hmm. school, um, they had pretty large class sizes for OT and it was a kind of a newer campus. So the admission rate, like the chances I felt like were really good. So when it comes to finding a purpose, you grow up with dad being a dentist. And so you're having this thought that something in medical is where you want to go, but not Mm -hmm. dental. And then you go to university where you're studying some different things, getting exposed to more of the medical side and the different Mm -hmm. places you can go in medical. When this event happens with your mom from high school, that stays with you. And now you get to... Uh, OT school after asking some questions, which is a huge, huge thing that you did. You weren't afraid to ask questions at the golf course and look where you are now. Mm-hmm. And uh, you are going through OT school and take us from there. And is it at OT school that we have the idea for access tracks? Yes. Cool. Yeah. So I went into OT school in the fall of 2015 and it was just one year later in the fall of 2016 that I was taking a class called assistive technologies. Assistive technology is basically anything, whether it's right off the shelf that you buy or whether it's a tool or a technology that is a little bit modified that helps somebody with a disability accomplish a task. Uh, so that could be a wheelchair, that's for mobility. That could be a hearing aid, you know, that's for hearing. Um, It could be an app on your phone that helps you with memory. Uh, And it could be any sort of tool like that. So physical or technology. And in that class, we were challenged to create a device that would help a certain population with a disability. So I had a classmate that I worked really well with on other projects in school. And so we kind of, it was already like assumed that, okay, we're going to be partners on whatever project this is because we trust each other. You know, you find your tribe, you find who, you know, does the work. (laughs) So um, my classmate, Eric and I, uh, we were inspired to create something to help adaptive surfers in our community be able to more independently access the ocean so they can go do what they love and surf. And these surfers may have uh, physical disabilities like spinal cord injury or cerebral palsy, for example, and they use mobility devices like wheelchairs or walkers. Those do not go through sand. They don't go through uneven fine terrain like that that's bumpy because they just get, get stuck. So what was currently the solution was either them not going at all, which that's not a solution in my mind, or they get carried by somebody and sometimes even a stranger. And there's not a a lot of dignity in that. And grown men are pretty adverse to wanting to do that. Um, Because a lot of the surfers that we knew were older men um, and they, you know, they didn't, they weren't born with a disability. So they had the experience of not having to rely on other people and still do what they love. And so after their injuries or illness, it's like, wow, Mm. you really understand the, the switch that happens and they don't, it's, it's a hard transition for anybody. Um, and I saw that with my mom after she had a stroke. 
So we wanted to create a way. How do we help people cross the sand, right, in their wheelchairs or mobility devices? And, okay, you could either create something that modifies the device to make it easier for it to go over the, the surface, or you can create a pathway. And our reasoning for wanting to try a pathway is that you can help so many more people at once with mm -hmm. a pathway than just a one-to-one -one on their device. So Had Eric you and I went mm -hmm. this problem before, like, how did you know that this was a problem just from, because everyone goes to the beach in LA or uh, are you a surfer? <laughs> Actually, that's a great question. I'm not a surfer. Um, the first time I ever tried surfing was when I was volunteering in 2018 for the Hawaii adaptive surfing championships. <laughs> wow. I, uh, yeah, I had a, a friend uh, who had an extra longboard and she goes, come on out. So I paddled yeah. out during one of the heats with them and sat there and watched them from <laughs> completely different perspective. It was incredible. Wow. Um, but anyway, so the reason we knew that this was a problem for people was our professor, Professor Mo Johnson um, at the University of St. Augustine. She is a huge surfer. Her, her children surf and she always would go up to her break in either Oceanside or Cardiff or Carlsbad and she would see them. So she, she wanted to help them awesome. out. Awesome. Yeah. And so she kind of put out a call to the class that day. Hey, can anybody do this problem? Cool. And we were like, yes, let's do it. Mm -hmm. Awesome. Cool. So take us from that day. You've got the idea. What happens next when you decide, okay, we want to make a pathway? Uh, yeah. So that day, um, I think it literally was that same day. We went to Home Depot three or four times in the same day. <laughs> looking Where at all materials. good projects start. Where all good <laughs> exactly. Start. Yeah. That's their new slogan. Um, but we went to Home Depot to look at what materials can we readily source that aren't super heavy, aren't expensive and can take the pressure of things wheeling or walking over them. But are lightweight enough that it's movable and portable um, because we wanted something that people could put in the back of their car, you know, and have that. So I was looking at these aluminum rain gutter covers and to give you perspective, they're rectangular. They're about six inches wide by three feet long. And it's, it's like aluminum wire and it goes over a rain gutter to prevent leaves from falling in. Okay. So they're kind of rectangular and Okay, so that could be the stable surface that lifts the wheels off from sinking into the sand because you want the, that particular piece to be just wide and long enough for wheels on a wheelchair um, to, to be on. So the point of contact is just two points, the wheels. And okay, so how do we make those the perfect width and whatever length that you, that you want? Okay, so we zip tied them to a plastic chicken mesh. <laughs> so we had, I think it was four feet wide chicken mesh by, it comes in a roll, so you can cut it to yep. whatever length. And then we zip tied the aluminum rain gutter covers in a track formation, just at the perfect width that a standard wheelchair wheels would hit the ground. And then we created a pathway and we tested it. Um, now that was the final product. We had multiple things that we tried from Home Depot that didn't work, but that was the end product. And we went and volunteered at a Western Surfing Association competition down in Ocean, uh, Ocean Beach in San Diego. And there were five adaptive surfers there, that particular competition. And we had two 10-foot-ish, two nine 10-foot long 
pieces of this pathway. And we were testing it out. Everyone was willing to try it. They're like, yeah, this is rad. Like, let's do it. Mm -hmm. And it worked. We did a leapfrog system where we had a bunch of classmates and, you know, two surfers at a time would go on one nine foot stretch and then we would put the other stretch in front of them and then they would wheel forward. And then, but they were wheeling forward, you know, um, pretty much by themselves. So it's, it's that independence. So they were like, this is rad. I'm wheeling on the sand by myself with the help of a pathway that you guys are setting down for me. Now we had to go about a hundred yards. So it was a, it was a lot of work doing 10 feet at a time. Um, so we were sweating by the end of it, but they were like, yeah, this is great. <laughs> um, so we knew that we had to turn this into a business because we could feel their sense of freedom and empowerment and excitement. And they said, we need more of this. And just testing it with a few people were like, wow, this could help a lot of people, millions of people all over the world because outdoor terrain is literally everywhere. Um, and it's just that spark of hope that we could make a difference in this world. And it's more for, it's, it's for more than surfers, right? Mm -hmm. It's for the person who needs to have access to their beautiful garden in their yard who maybe just like my mom had suffered a stroke and needs to use a wheelchair now and she can't get across the mud or the grass. She just wants to go garden again. Mm -hmm. Or it could be the family who they want to travel and they want to go to places like Hawaii or the Bahamas and they want to go access the ocean or the beach with their family. But unfortunately, accessibility isn't everywhere yet. So if you can have something you can bring with you, you have accessibility and inclusion at your fingertips. Um, so that was powerful. And then beyond that, it's the adaptive sports organization that would use this all the time for their events to go kayaking and surfing. And finally, it's the government entities that know, obviously in the United States about ADA compliance, and that's, that's a legal right. And how, how, okay, so you can have a law that says this is what you have to do, but it doesn't say how to do it. Mm -hmm. It doesn't say what tool to specifically use. And so they can be lost. They go, I, I don't know how to be ADA compliant or how to provide this to my community. And so if we could provide them with a very user-friendly, cost-effective, uh, safe solution, there you go. Then it's that much easier to provide that not only for just one person at a time, but your entire community who accesses a national park or a state beach. So those are the, I guess, an overview of like who we're trying to help mm -hmm. um, specifically, but just that one day of testing it, it was like, boom, wow. we have to do this. And so I always like to say that I didn't seek out entrepreneurship. It found me and it grabbed me and it's not letting go because <laughs> this is something that just has to be done in the world. Like I just feel so passionate and that is, that is me finding my purpose and it aligns with occupational therapy because we're still helping people live more independent, active lifestyles and, and do what they love. Um, so I will always keep my license. Um, I do still practice occupational therapy in San Diego and in schools. Um, but I just, this is, this is my purpose. I can help millions of people around the world mm -hmm. with this versus as an OT, I can only help a few clients or a few people a day, typically in my local region. Um, but this is so powerful and exciting what I can do with, with access tracks. You know, so, so interesting that as Kelly and I are recording this, it's uh, during the time that everyone's quarantined and 
uh, for Kelly out of what was probably one of her darker times in life when her mom suffered her massive stroke. Look at what a bright light she's created from that dark time. And that is, uh, should just be hopeful for anyone that is going through that or has gone through that, that there is a way to take whatever that darkness was that you had occur and turn it into something incredibly and positively bright uh, on your way to finding your purpose. So huge, huge credit to Kelly for, for that uh, at a high level, taking a dark time and, and look at the brightness that you've been able to spread from that. That's just absolutely amazing. So thank you for that. Um, from that day, which you so vividly painted and it was awesome to hear. I was captivated <laughs> as you're moving these sections and getting folks to the water. Like take us fast forward us. Like how do you then get this thing made mass produced? Are we mass producing it now? What is the product today and who is using it? Uh, and where is it? Where is it today? Great. Happy to explain that process. So kind of in a, a quick uh, summary. So we were still students at that time in 2016 when it was invented. Uh, we weren't going to graduate from school until a year later. So we were definitely very focused on getting through school. But in 2017, the beginning of the year, I kept thinking there has to be a way to help us kind of financially make this happen because we have to, like you alluded to, we have to be able to mass produce this. I am not zip tying hundreds of zip ties to aluminum rain gutter covers for the rest of my life. <laughs> I will have no <laughs> fingers left. Um, so we basically asked our school um, that, you know, how can we get some funding for this? Is there a possibility? And it was a grant. There were, it just so happened. I mean, the stars have aligned so many times during this whole process. It's like, you have to feel that this is meant to be. Mm. So um, and I know, sorry for the distraction. My fiance just went uh, <laughs> grocery shopping in this uh, quarantine period. So he had ha have a big haul of groceries. <laughs> I actually welcome it. You know, we are all human. <laughs> Everyone in the world puts their pants on one leg at a time from Steve Jobs to us. And so uh, we're all human. It's totally cool. Yeah. So, um, you may see some groceries in the background, but anyways, for everyone listening, um, yeah, so this was a, a big deal trying to find financing for this because we're students. I mean, let's let's face it, we're broke. We've just spent a lot of money on school and we, we can't work full time during school. So um, there was a grant. It was the James McGuire Global Business Plan Competition that my school was a part of, but nobody from my school had ever applied. So basically the company that owned my school owns, you know, over a hundred schools around the world. Okay. So this global business plan competition, we were just, a, a, it was just a possibility that we could apply. And we did. Other teams had six months to prepare. We had six weeks. And turns out that again, not only being the only team ever to apply from my school, we were a finalist and there were six finalists out of tons of applications from all over the world. We were the only finalists from the United States. And 
So there were six of us, six teams who were finalists. And we had to do a video, like live interview with the judges. Um, after we had created our um, application, we did the video thing as part of the finals. And it took the judges extra days to deliberate. We were so nervous, um, but they ended up awarding us. We didn't win the whole competition, but they were so enthralled by all of the uh, applicants that they awarded everybody some funding. So that was the beginning. That was $5,000 towards prototyping. Okay, so that was the summer of 2017. Then our school's board of directors said, hey, do you guys wanna present what you're doing to the board of directors in St. Augustine, Florida? And that's the parent campus. So um, that's where the school first was established. Uh, yes, that'd be amazing. So they flew us out there, put us in a hotel, and they had us present to their, to their board of directors at a meeting. They surprised us with another $5,000. Like, wow. I still get emotional thinking about that moment of just, this is amazing. Because as you can imagine, prototyping is very expensive. You know, depending on the process, um, it could be over $100,000. Um, so getting little steps of the way. And basically that $10,000 got us through the first round of prototyping. So we went from me having to you know, hand make these things to Wow, we worked with a local company in San Diego to help a startup come up with a design using plastic because it's very durable, easy to source. The guys could make it right here in San Diego. They did um, basically injection molding to create two prototypes and we were off to the races. So once you have that minimum viable product, you can go test that even some more, get, it, get additional feedback, make any changes, and then get ready for the launch of your company. Mm. Um, so that was incredible. Uh, we ended up graduating in 2017. We had our first manufactured prototype the end of 2017 um and we went and uh, kind of got some feedback at the world adaptive surfing championships in december of 2017. now that is an amazing competition by the way and they actually just had it here again in san diego in uh, the beginning of march and that brings adaptive surfers from all over the world right here to us. It was amazing. We didn't have to go travel anywhere, spend money we didn't have, and we got real feedback. And from there, we, we knew we had to make a couple more changes to things. Um, and then we launched the company in February of 2018. Wow. Mm -hmm. So when you launched, uh, how many prototypes did you have to go through until launch and uh, is what you launched with the product that you have today? Another great question. Uh, prototyping, uh, typically you're gonna go through multiple models. And so we had our handmade prototype. So I guess I call that one. <laughs> we modified it. We modified the handmade one, one or two times. Then we had our first manufactured prototype. Um, that one we never mass produced because we already had to make changes. Um, and so we ended up having to switch the manufacturing method from injection molding to a combination of CNC and steel rule die press. Uh, so we found a new manufacturer again locally here in San Diego, which is great. We love the face to face. We love trying to keep things local as much as we can. And we had another design 
from there, we modified that design, which was, um, again, using the same material, so plastic, that is 100% recyclable. And we modified that design another two times to what we have today. So the product we launched with um, in 2018 in February, we only modified it, um, the design, two times. Okay. So that's what we have now. And it was, it's a lot easier to modify something that's CNC and seal will die press than it is to modify injection molding because with injection molding, you spend, gosh, it could be $50,000 on a mold. You wow. can't modify a mold. You would have to completely pay that money all over again to do any changes. That's wild. Yeah. So we're really lucky that we could use a different manufacturing method um, that aligns with our need at the time to iterate, you know, to make those changes with any feedback. Cause we're really motivated to get feedback from the people who are using it and benefiting from it and implementing those changes. So describe what, uh, to a, a lay person, what would this look like if they saw it on the beach today? Mm -hmm. So think of a three foot by three foot square mat that's made out of plastic. The color is gray as of right now. It has small half inch holes kind of drilled throughout the surface um, in order to keep it um, lightweight, keep it having traction onto the underlying surface like the sand. And these square panels can be connected together in any configuration. But on the beach, you might see them connected double wide. So maybe you'll have six foot wide of these square, these two square panels, and then it'll stretch as far long as, as you can imagine, you know, however wide they need it to go across the sand. It can also incorporate turns if you need to access the fire pits or have like a platform to hang out on. So that's kind of what you'll see is looks like a gray mat. Wow. Brilliant to have them be able to attach in multiple directions. Uh, that's so cool. Can you take us into the business side of this? Uh, what type of structure is the company? Is it nonprofit? Is it for profit? And what is the revenue model to grow this thing and scale it? Mm -hmm. Access Tracks is a for profit business as of right now. We kind of act like a nonprofit. Uh, I volunteer a lot. Um, we do a lot of community outreach, those types of things. Um, but a, a nonprofit can have a complicated structure in that you can have to have a board of directors, you have to have three people or more managing, you have to pay an application fee to get accepted as a nonprofit status. So that might be in the future, kind of, a, we might have an offshoot of the company that is a nonprofit. So we're an LLC and uh, basically the, the way that we earn our revenue is we sell the pathways, the pathway squares, the mats. We also rent them. So kind of lending to, okay, think of the times we're going through right now, right? You may have a certain business model, um, but if the market changes or the economy changes, you might have to pivot. And we realized that in 2018, pretty early on, when the company was launched, that our, rev our revenue model was just to sell the pathway. But there's a lot of instances like outdoor events that happen just once a year, or but they still are really big and they are outdoors. They, they need to be ADA compliant. Um, they want to rent a pathway, not buy it. 
Um, same thing with families who are tourists here in San Diego who are coming to visit. They want to have you know, inclusive access and they, they need to just have a pathway when they visit. So rentals was something that we did pretty early on um, to allow for those types of instances. And, and it's, it's a huge um, part of the company. I think the past couple of years, it's been between 15 and 20% of our revenue. Wow. Mm-hmm. Um, so is it still just you on the team looking to grow the team? Do you know what your next hire is? Tell mm-hmm. us about that. Right now I act as the CEO, um, the CFO, the CEO. <laughs> um, yes, I wear all hats in the company. I am the only one who is running operations and that's both good and bad, right? Those comes with its pros and cons. I definitely have, uh, have two other owners of the company. Um, one was my co-founder, uh, and he had to take a step back from operations within a few months of forming the company in 2018. Um, but I can still certainly bounce ideas off of him. Uh, I send him updates and have his support. And then I had an investor come on uh, about this time last year. So that was just really That's great. Cap- Congratulations. Yeah, thank you. It was a friend of a friend. Um, so it wasn't like a huge capital infusion, but you know, every little bit helps when you're a startup, you know, because it gets you to the next level, gets you to the next inflection point. And how can you leverage that in your community? Because it is so tough to get traditional capital as a startup. Um, and it's just, it's nice to look for friends and family first who will, who they already know you, they know your passion and they just want to support you sometimes no matter what you're doing. Um, so that, that was, that was good to have. So, um, but I am running operations and I was lucky enough. There's a program here in San Diego that helps place interns with companies. Um, so I had an intern for 150 hours and that particular company pays the intern for the company. Awesome. So they, they were paid. Um, I was able to get some much needed help with the website, SEO strategy, et cetera. Um, and there's a lot of programs out there like that for small businesses. So I highly suggest that anyone out there who's thinking about starting a business um, I have a laundry list of resources, both local and national, uh, that can help you with mentorship, with access to capital, with uh, just about anything. So um, I don't know if you can make my contact info available in Absolutely. that way to, to be able to share that with people because that's another of my personal missions is helping other entrepreneurs find and pursue their passion. It's hard. I've been there. Um, and I couldn't have done it without help. So I know that I want to help other people too. Awesome. Mm-hmm. Uh, more of a personal question. You can totally pass if, if you'd like, has, uh, has mom been able to see the success of access tracks and how's she doing? Yeah. Um, so in 2018, I think it was. My mom came out um, for the first time to, both of my parents came out for the first time to see what I do. And that was at the World Adaptive Surfing Championships in 2018. We had the pathway set up um, along the periphery so that the competitors who had their personal pop-up tents, they could have access to those. So my parents were for the first time able to walk out on the beach tracks pathway and be able to see how beneficial it was. And 
ah, forgive me for getting emotional, but it was so cool to see my mom be able to walk out on the sand. She told me that it had been like almost 15 years since she got out onto the sand because she can walk now. Um, but she uses, um, typically either a cane or she's, she's a little bit slower and unstable. So like getting out onto the sand was just like a no-go for a long time. Um, so to see her like walk out there and just feel the benefits of it, it was really incredible. Wow. She's probably so proud. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I, I have a note on my fridge. My dad had loaned me some money when I first started the company and he had mailed me a check and it had a note in it that said, go baby, go. And I still have that on my fridge today. Is it, oh my my parents, it's so cool to know that I'm making them proud, even though that what I'm doing is a little scary, um, sometimes financially and that, you know, sometimes there's not as much job stability in being a business owner. Um, but to know that I'm making a difference to people all over the world. I, I still call my dad. Guess what? Guess what I get, got to do today. Guess who I got to talk to today. Um, I still call my parents and tell them those things. There's a, there's an interesting conversation that uh, I just encourage everyone to have on an ongoing basis when it comes to something you mentioned, stability, and then also this concept of wealth. And uh, for, for someone who's found a purpose or has a purpose, wealth is so much more than the money in your bank account. And to wake up every day and feel wealthy when it comes to purpose is, is an almost indescribable. And when it comes to stability, to live your purpose out daily provides you an emotional stability. Of course, there's the financial stability that is always going to be a question for an entrepreneur, but there's this kind of um, oxymoronic, paradoxical emotional stability where you're up and down emotionally as a, an entrepreneur every day, but you also are so grounded in that you know what you're doing is so needed and it is your purpose and nothing's going to stop you. Yeah, absolutely. Very well said. I, I couldn't agree more that yes, you're going to have ups and downs both emotionally and financially as an entrepreneur, but if you can stay grounded in the fact that you have a mission and if that mission especially is a social impact mission, you will be that much more resilient during those ups and downs to continue that path. Because if you are not 100% passionate about what you're doing, that first downside to your ups and downs, you may want to jump ship. And just really, it's all about establishing that compact with yourself that you will have ups and downs. Have that understanding. There will be no doubt. But if you can remain loyal to your mission as much as humanly possible, and you know that what you're doing is, is the right thing or, or just you have that gut feeling, you can be resilient through those times. And I can't say the word resilient enough <laughs> because there's, it's just something you have to have. And you can kind of train yourself through it, you know, have that mentorship, have your tribe, have your supporters, both family and friends and customers. And just know that there are a lot of other people going through what you're going through or have been what you're going through. And those people are other entrepreneurs. <laughs> so tap into those networks. There's Facebook groups for entrepreneurs. There's podcasts like this for entrepreneurs. Um, one of my favorites is how I built this. 
Um, it's on NPR radio and it's hosted by Guy Raz and he does a great job of interviewing. Mm -hmm. That's, oh my gosh, one of my favorites because you hear their stories and you're like, you did what? You survived what? There's hope for me. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Awesome. Well, we're going to, that was extremely well said. We're going to let Kelly wrap this up. So Kelly, to close this out, please tell us uh, what's the vision for Access Tracks moving forward? How can we follow you and connect with what you have going on? Um, And then uh, any final thoughts that you'd like to leave us with? Thank you, Nicholas. I would say that for anyone out there thinking about becoming an entrepreneur, again, you know, please do reach out um, to get some resources. I have a lot of resources that I would love to share. Um, so I will make sure that hopefully Nicholas can share my contact info, my website, of course. I will spare you the, the whole www. Um, so please check out the website. Um, we have blogs on there. I I love writing. That's kind of my, um, career in a past life maybe as being a a journalist. Um, but I love to share stories, updates about the company, um, subscribe to our newsletter. That's another great way to get involved because I will be sharing opportunities for how you can stay involved with access tracks and support the mission. Um, we're on LinkedIn. You can follow company updates there. And really, I challenge you to look around your environment. Um, This is going to be kind of a call to action for really anybody. Um, You don't have to be somebody going to be an entrepreneur, but really look at your environment and put yourselves into the perspective of somebody who has a mobility impairment. Maybe they use a wheelchair. Could you access your favorite park? Could you access your favorite restaurant or does it have a step up, even just one step Um, and, and start to kind of challenge those concepts around you of accessibility and really how can you help solve that problem? Whether it's maybe you are a business owner already and you go, Oh wow, I didn't realize. Yeah, there is a step to my restaurant and how can you solve that? Or I don't have my menu to my restaurant in large print for people who are visually impaired. Those are super simple fixes. And just think about that. You know, there's 20, up to 25% of our population has a disability. That is a huge group. That is the largest minority in the world is people with disabilities. Let's think about inclusion. Let's think about accessibility and how can we help? And then finally, of course, for those who are wanting to be entrepreneurs, Find your passion. It may take a while, may take years, um, but you'll get there if you stay true to, to try to finding what makes you happy and how can you help be a problem solver in the world. Amazing. Well said. Thank you so much for talking today, Kelly. Thank you for asking lots of questions and finding your purpose and then living that out because there is clearly some amazing, amazing things happening because you chose to do that and because you work so hard every single day to honor uh, people like your mother and anyone who uh, is in that situation and needs that kind of support. So thank you for building access tracks and honestly all the best to you moving forward and everything that you're doing. And I hope that uh, anyone listening who this has resonated with, please check out access tracks, uh, get in touch with Kelly and, uh, and let's do what we can to help her uh, continue to grow this thing. Uh, so that everyone around the world has access to uh, things that they might not have access to right now. So thank you, Kelly, and good luck with everything. 
Thank you so much. It was a pleasure to be on your podcast. And I also wish you the best of luck, Nicholas. Thank you.